This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 54. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with Brandon Derner. Hey, Brandon. <laughs> hey, Josh. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I know I make you laugh every time I announce you, don't I? Uh, you are clever in your announcing, I guess. I am indeed. Look at I you. Am. Yep, yep. So, how are things, man? I you've had a bit of a wet week, haven't you? <laughs> I've had some plumbing issues this week, but uh, I think we got it all figured out. Somebody had flushed large rocks down the toilet, we think, uh, and completely clogged up the drain in one of my uh, the recent foreclosure I bought. So. The last guy wasn't too happy about being foreclosed on, so he decided to flush some potato-sized rocks. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Those are the stories you don't hear about, you know? You never hear, like, the late-night guy, you know, like, on TV saying, five fifty nine ninety seven price, you can learn how to dig rocks out of a sewer pipe. You don't hear those. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. Well, I, I am sorry to hear that, but I am glad that you guys resolved it. And I'm glad your stress is gone because you were a little stressed out. <laughs> yeah, it was it was fun. I, I couldn't find a plumber. There's the other, you know, we talk about rural investing, right? Like yep. that, that's the problem. I mean, as much as there's great things about it, and I love the fact that I can buy a house for, you know, dirt cheap. And then this triplex was $70,000. The fact that you can't get a plumber, period, on the weekends is the downside. I mean, I called all seven of them in my town and none of them answered or called back the whole entire weekend. Like, I, yeah, it's not. I, tru- I truly believe people don't want to work. I, 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 I don't get it. You know, everyone complains about how bad the economy is and nobody can find a job. And I tell you what, man, I've been trying to hire people and uh, uh, for, for bigger pockets. And, and it's amazing. You know, I, I've, responded to resumes with interview requests and people don't reply. I've, I've gotten 40% of the resumes that I'm getting have like horrible, major, major typos. And I'm like, you know, what is going on here? Do people really want to work or are they just too damn lazy to do it? I don't know. Yeah, There's I don't know. It, it's insane. End rant. <laughs> end rant. Well, yeah. that actually leads us well into our, our quick tip for today. Quick, quick, tip. quick, quick tip. <laughs> All right, there you go. All right, so my quick tip is always get the cell phone number of your plumber, not just the company number. Because if you uh, you know build your list of maintenance guys and your plumbers and stuff ahead of time, don't just have a company number because a lot of times they will not answer on the weekends. Get a cell phone number. I now have uh, a really good plumber cell phone number I got from a referral. He's twice as much as everyone else, but he showed up finally. And uh, yeah, quick tip, cell phones. They're good. Go. All right. All right. Well, why don't we move on past your personal problems and, and get <laughs> on to the show here? Thank you. On, uh, yeah, you know, I'm here for you, Brandon. Well, on today's episode, we're going to talk with Lisa Phillips. So Lisa's been video blogging on the Bigger Pockets blog for, for quite a few weeks now, and it's really putting out some pretty cool content about investing in properties that, uh, you know, quite frankly, squ- 
scare a lot of people away. Uh, properties in the under $30,000 range. Now, I, I have owned some scary properties and uh, this show is is one that uh, I, I kind of wish I had before I started, but uh, you know, there, there's some really cool stuff to come, so definitely pay attention. Uh, Lisa's got an inspiring story of how she built her rental portfolio after going through a foreclosure of her own. And she's going to share some great tips on dealing with the nuances of investing in these low price areas. So, you know, if you want to learn about what it's actually like from the other side uh, to be foreclosed upon or, you know, how despite the hardships, you can turn things around and get the ball moving again for yourself. Uh, it's definitely a pretty cool show to check out. One more reminder to everybody, please be sure to come and ask questions of Lisa or leave comments on the show notes page at biggerpockets.com slash show 54. In fact, you could even ask questions of Brandon or myself there if you want, or just tell us how great you think the show is or how terrible we are. <laughs> we, do, we do get those hate mail from, from we time do. to time. That's fun. We do. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as quantum fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability, service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from Price for Life offer and may be increased. 
All right, with that, let's get moving and get to the show with Lisa. Welcome to Bigger Pockets Podcast. It is very, very nice to have you. Thank you, Joshua and Brandon. Ooh, Joshua. <laughs> I like it when our guests actually say, and Brandon, even though you're the one that always welcomes them. So, Lisa, thank you. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Well, let's let's get to this thing. Very first question I like to ask people, how did you get started with real estate investing? Okay, how I got started was sort of some bad lessons in uh, overinflated housing markets and being laid off. So the quick story is, is that I was in Vegas and I bought in 2006. I uh, just came out of college, had my first job. Everything was rosy then in Vegas, and I just felt like I had to get into the market. Uh, I got it in 2006, and as you can imagine, over the next couple of years, the market fell off, and um, I got laid off. So I had, to, so I found another job relatively quickly, and I moved to Ohio. But that meant I had to rent out the other house that I had. Um, yes, it was overinflated and the mortgage, I had to pay like $800 a month to like cover the mortgage. And it was just like a really hard lesson to learn about overinflated housing and being forced into being a landlord. Then the second part of that story is, yeah, yeah. And then the second part of that story is, um, so while I was there for about a year and a half in my new Ohio, I'm like, I guess I'm going to stay here. I purchased the condo that was distressed for about $35,000 and it was a I was built in 2001, and when I purchased it, that was great, and I was going to fix it up, and I had all this money saved for that. Well, then I got laid off again. Good old 2009. Oh, nice. So, so, so that's the story of me coming into. I did have a foreclosure, which is I'm I'm glad I had it at an early enough age where I think I have more than enough time to recover from it. But it was a it was a hard lesson. I don't recommend for people, but I learned a lot in the process. And um, so I just purchased this other distressed property that was built in 2001. It was a foreclosure. And someone said, hey, why don't you fix it up? And I was unemployed. So I said, hey, why not? And that's what really got me like looking at so, real estate investing as a strategy. So I've got a tip for you. If, you, uh, if you're working for somebody right now and you really hate your job, just go buy a property. Because it seems like every time you buy a property, you get laid off. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird i love here's the deal like a lot of us have this instinct where you just love to buy real estate and you you might not be at a place where you should but we have like this internal need to like buy a home and fix it up you know like people love doing that and i think i got caught up in it with an experience i always say i have like a disease yeah i, I, I caught you. the bug and i can't get rid of it like i even tell my wife okay we're done for now we're gonna we're gonna stop for a while we're gonna you know, lick our wounds, make everything, you know, stable. Uh, yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, that house just came on the market and that's really cheap. And oh, look how good it would look when it's done. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, nice. I'm with you story. there. I get it. So let's go back to that, that story of, I want to go back to your very first one and kind of talk about the Las Vegas property because, yeah. I mean, there are people that are worried that we're in another bubble again, just like we saw in 2006. In some areas of the right. country, prices are even higher than they were oh, back yeah. in 06 which is right. insane. I was talking to a guy just a couple of days ago and he was telling me like he bought these, what was it? A condo in like Miami for, I don't know, two or 300,000 and they're worth like six or 700,000 now, like just absurd amount of appreciation there. Um, so I guess, I guess, what are your, what are your thoughts? I mean, how you obviously, you know, weren't as experienced as you are now going right. into that. 
so what lessons, I guess, did you learn about investing in that kind of a market? I did learn a very important lesson that honestly, I, I never heard anyone say this. I really had to go through it before I figured this out. And I, I wish someone would have, it would have saved, saved me a lot of time. Um, do, even if you're investing or buying for your real home, if you purchase a property and your monthly mortgage payments, even with 20% down or whatnot, um, is more than what the market rents are in your area, I'm like, the house is overpriced regardless. Yep. And there's going to be a settling period. You know, when I was paying $800 a month to, you know, because I was trying to keep the house and I had a, I finally did uh, get a job. You know, I was like, yeah, when I try to rent it out, I'm like, yeah, can you guys want to rent this out for $2,000 a month? Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, are you crazy? You get 1200 and that was the market. However, if I would have known that I would have been, you know, I, I would not have invested in that housing for myself. You know, I would have stayed firm to that. So that was the biggest tip on how I judge every property from now on. So if it does fall, you're going to go right back to where it should be. You know, you'll be able to rent it out at cost. Yeah. That's actually, the, that's the exact advice I give to my friends when they say they're going to go buy a house. I was telling mm -hmm. the same thing as, okay, great, but make sure that your mortgage payment, you could rent it out for at least that. So at least you're maybe breaking even if you had to move suddenly. First case. Yeah. Yeah, everybody always thinks that they're going to stay forever. It's like they don't think of two years down the road or three years down the road. They just think, oh, I can afford the payment. Right. But well, that's that's so I think that's good advice. The The only issue I have is, you know, there there's a pretty big difference between your primary residence and a rental property. But I guess you guys are taking it from the angle of you need to consider your primary as a potential rental property in, in case the, of, of a worst case scenario. And, and I guess mm -hmm. I guess that makes sense. But you know, ultimately, when you buy a house, you know, you, you really do need to determine and judge how long you're going to be there. I mean, if, if you're going to be there five years, 10 years, it doesn't matter if, if you're upside down for five of the 10 years. I mean, you know, you're there to, to live and, and have a home. And, you know, presumably, you're buying that house for the neighborhood, for the schools, yeah. for whatever purposes. So I don't know, I, I, I take somewhat of a different approach to it. But uh, mm -hmm. thus far, I've been lucky and it hasn't bit me. Yeah. Yeah. For some people, once you've been bitten by that layoff bug and and that <laughs> outsource, but like it, it really changes your whole outlook on life. And you know, it happened when I was relatively young. So sometimes those are the lessons that stay with you the hardest. So yeah. So even if it's my primary because of that that bite that I've um, I've experienced before, I'll still probably be very cautious and go. You know, what if we both lose our jobs? You know. So uh, <laughs> it just sort of sticks. It just sticks for me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think one part of that might also be, Josh, you know, like you're self-employed. And so I guess maybe you're a little more, uh, you're probably not going to get fired from your job, you know, like, so you don't have to worry about suddenly having to move. But, you know, if you had a job and all of a sudden you got transferred out of state, you suddenly right. have a rental that's, or I mean, a property that's upside down. You can't sell it. You can't rent it. You're just, that's how the foreclosures happen. No, I got so you. Maybe, maybe that's part you. of it. I don't know. Well, I tell you, no, I mean, I Go ahead, Lisa. Sorry. No, I think that's part of it. I say I'm like an Alaskan fisherman. Like they follow the salmon, you know, <laughs> like I follow the jobs and I always think I'm going to stay. Like when I bought the property in Ohio, I'm like, yeah, I like Ohio. Columbus is great. And then I get the opportunity in the D.C. area. So I move there. But I, I did think that I would settle there for some times. But, you know, sometimes you just got to move hey, the economy, I call it. 
And what's great yeah. about this is is you are you're not the only one doing that. You know, there's there's plenty of people yeah. I'm I'm hiring right now, and uh, you know I I've gotten a lot of resumes from people who are in Ohio and and random mm-hmm. other places, and and I'm like, wow, you know, it's amazing. People really move around a lot for for jobs. So it's uh, you know anyone listening, you know, don't, don't I probably want to pay heed to to Lisa here and and you know follow the jobs, follow the jobs. Yeah, yeah. But does it always mean the real estate market will be perfect where you land? That so. is true. That is true. All right. So, so for, you know, the, that first deal, you know, a bit chaotic. The follow up, a bit chaotic. Um, let's let's talk about. I I actually want to talk about the the down and dirty, the ugly uh, f word, the foreclosure uh, that that you had okay um, brought up. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's okay. I'm open about it. I, I am open about yeah, it. Yeah, well, I mean, and that that's fine. You know, I think as long as you are, if you're not like, you know, top secretive and, and then people find out later like, oh, yeah, this person, you know, did this. Well, okay. So what happened? You know, how uh, you you bought you bought it at a price that was probably not the right price. And, and uh, what was the process like? You know, that's that's something I'm, I'm pretty curious about. Okay. So, um. So yeah, I was overinflated, although I didn't realize that till the market falls. Then you realize, oh crap, this was <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> not the price I should have bought this out. Well, you, you know, and inexperience leads you to that. Um, so it wouldn't happen again. Um, and so I had just purchased the new property. Um, it was thirty-five thousand. So like the mortgage after taxes and everything's like three hundred and fifty dollars a month. And I found myself laid off again. And so I had a choice. And the choice was, well, I just bought this one and this is way cheaper to keep as long as I'm unemployed. So I was like, well, I could afford to live here and I can't necessarily afford to pay $800 a month. Like I have my own living situation. I'm in Ohio now. I'm not in Vegas. You know, the IT industry that I'm in is moving further east, not necessarily staying right here in the Las Vegas area. And so um, so I called them up and I'm like, hey, just lost my job. So <laughs> I don't know if we're going to do this, but can we work something out? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause in, in 2009 was big in the, uh, modification. So modification was everywhere, but pinks yep. weren't necessarily doing it. They were just saying that maybe they will. So I was hopeful for that. However, um, you know, at the time I'm going through it with everyone else. So I hear all these stories about, um, uh, yeah, well, they said they're going to work with me and I paid them according to their contract. But after a year and a half, they still foreclosed. So they didn't like keep to the contract. They just got as much money as they can while they went through the foreclosure process. So I so I was like, okay, are they going to work with me or not? Because if you're not, I didn't really have any faith in them. And they didn't seem to really work with me. And they were like, well, we can't really talk about modification until you've missed payments. And so, like I said, I had to make the firm choice. And I think what a lot of people get in trouble with is they try to keep on versus accepting when they should, you know, call it quits. I'm not saying call it quits is what you should do, but you got to recognize where you're at. And yeah. I'm like, I have an unemployment check. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is it. Yep. Like, I can't do until I find something new. And I didn't know what that time frame would be. I was like, this isn't happening. I, I can't keep putting 800. That's fine when I was single and I had a nice job, but it's not at this level when I have my own expenses here so it was just very clear I could have like taken a little bit of that and paid it over but I was like this overinflated house this isn't going to work and long term you know if I don't get a job I don't want to sacrifice so much for a property that at this 
stage was a bad investment, you know? Yeah. So I just cut the cord. And yeah. I think that's why, and it's stressful in some levels, um, you know, so it's not easy. And I had to rearrange my whole strategy of real estate investing because of it, because I couldn't get any more conventional mortgages. And I can't on a second rental property for about five more years for primary residence after three years, but for a rental investment, I have to wait five more. So, um, so it determined my whole entire strategy, but if you go ahead and cut the cord when you need to versus hoping for that, what is it? The hail Mary to save the day. I think you might be able to manage it a little bit more easier. And so since I knew that next Oh, this is sort of me. So I knew the next month that that payment wasn't going to go in because I was like, got to cut the cord. Um, and then I'm going to call them back in three months and see if they're willing to work with me. Um, so like I went and got my Lowe's at Home Depot since I just purchased the new property and I knew I was going to be fixing it up, but I knew I had a little bit of income coming in. So um, just to have like, cause I knew credit would take a ding. So I went and got that before the ding came. And I think, you know, I already had my best buy part hard for appliances. So I sort of was like, well, let's work with the situation as it is. And uh, so that actually really helped because I was fixing up my next place. I'd get like six months free financing. And when the payments are like $40 a month, it, you can stretch that if you have some sort of income and your your monthly living expenses are low because your house payment is $350 a month. You know, you have a little bit yeah. more wiggle room. And so, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So as far as the foreclosure process after that, you know, payment notices um, went out and the default notices. And I mean, there wasn't any calls except for um, investors wanting to buy my property. <laughs> so they would really? send me letters and hey, if you're interested in a short sell. And I actually tried to do, do a short sell. Um, and the investor was very motivated. And we were calling the bank every day. And they were like trying to decide, to, you know, so the house I originally paid 388000 for, the investor was trying to get it for 120000 And um, wow. yeah, the bank was like, no. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. interesting. So interesting. Well, they'd rather foreclose. Um, so, they, they, so they were working and working, but they weren't coming to a conclusion. So then it was uh, foreclosed and they took it back uh, during that process. So that just sort of. Gotcha. Went up in flames and I um, I had a first and second mortgage. So on the second mortgage, which was honestly sold, like as soon as I bought the house, my second mortgage was sold to someone else. But so they were sold. So I got in contact with them and offered to settle and tip for um, anybody who wants to do that. They're going to play games with you. Just 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 play like, like hey, I can give you 10, you know, I can give you this much. 10% usually works. And uh, uh, if they say, oh, we can't do that, you know, just go, oh, well, too bad. Call me when you can and then hang up. And then uh, <laughs> a second tip is because uh, I talked to a lawyer. They're like, make sure you get it in writing that if, if you do pay and settle, it's paid, settled in full. Uh, um, and it shows that um, and get that in writing from them. And when I called, they're like, well, sorry, we can't do that. And I'm like, well, I need someone who's authorized to make that deal to do it and, to, you know, send me the paperwork saying that before I sign and pay you to settle this, um, this debt. And then they said they couldn't. Then I was like, call me when you can. And they called and they were like, Miss Phillips, here is my supervisor. She's authorized to do this. And they faxed it over. And I was like, all right. So that was pretty easy. Nice. Sent me the deed. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, so yeah, I mean, listen, a lot, a lot of people have found themselves in this situation and it's really easy to point fingers and say, well, look, Lisa, you were irresponsible or Lisa, you screwed up or, 
you know, I can go on and say a lot of bad things and yeah, look at you, you know, but, but it's a contract and, and, you know, that's why contracts exist, you know, to, to give the banks, you know, an alternative, uh, you know, when you don't yeah. pay. Um, I, I found it really interesting really quickly that, uh, you know, the modification process, the banks were, it was really an interesting time because, you know, people were negotiating with the banks to get modifications and the, they straight up said, you know, we will not work with you until you miss a payment, which yes. is the, I mean, I, you know, I, I stopped, I, I've got banker friends. I've talked this through with a lot of people and that policy to me just makes no damn sense. You know, it's like that's money out of pocket immediately on the part of the banks. You know, if they if they just stopped and gave some folks the opportunity, you know, who they were going to modify or foreclose on regardless, you know, they would have saved themselves a ton of money by just saying, all right, Lisa, you know what, you're paying whatever you were paying, 2800 3000 25 you know, we'll, we'll cut your payment by X for, for a period of Y. You know, we, we see that you're in good credit. We're going to work with you. Great, great. You know, when right. things turn around, you know, the modifi- modification goes away and, and, you know, you're, you're paying again, you know, and they don't have to deal with the process of, you know, vacant property for months and months on end. Um, everybody would have won. It just, it, it made no sense to me. None at all. And it took 17 months of no payments that they got. Can you imagine, you That's, know? Yep. Yep. That's crazy. That's but crazy. It, yeah. But you know, it is their choice. And I was like, okay, oh, of course I, but I have to do what I have to do to protect myself. So well, sure. And as no, no, so that's, so that's yeah. how, you know, it's like, Oh, I made a mistake. This happened, but I have, you know, I still have to live. And my thing is I do not want to be the person who graduated from uh, college and have to go back and live with my parents. I was always like, you know, I got an engineering degree, so I was always a smart one. So going back home afterwards, because <laughs> I had no money left, I, it was just, for my own pride, that was not going to happen. So I was like, sorry, house in Vegas, but house in Ohio, we can work with this. We can work with this. <laughs> well, hey, before we get to the, I uh, move on a little bit. I do have a question for you because you kind of have a unique perspective that most people on this show that we've interviewed don't have. It's like you've been, you've been on the other side of that equation, right? You've been, you've been hit with the yellow letters and, and the direct mail. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm wondering do you have any advice for investors who are contacting people like you were in, in your shoes then? Like what made you talk to the one investor that actually uh, encouraged you, you know, that you started working the short sale? What made you attracted to them or what can people do to, to help people in your situation? I can give you some advice. Um, so the person that I finally went with, it just came at a time when they, it sounded like the banks would consider a short sale, whereas before the it, the banks were very hesitant about that. But I started hearing, you know, in the news that, okay, short sales are an option. They're working more. And so once I heard that they were open to it, then I gave it a shot. Before, I didn't think they were. And I think anyone um, trying to get in touch with me, what they could have done to get a faster response, is, like, be very clear right on that front page what you can do for me. You know, like we will negotiate a short sell, you know, immediately. Like that would have got me to pick it up. Like, Hey, that's a better alternative than a foreclosure. But you know, there, there's all this other stuff and I see a lot of letters, but there, there wasn't any, what are you going to do for me in this current situation? So maybe that clarity and big, big letters. So I don't throw your, the letter away would have, would have worked. You know, I heard from the news that short sales were now, they're going to maybe start working with people, but you know, it would have been nice if they maybe said it, at the very beginning when they sent me a mailer of what the solutions might be. 
you know, that makes that makes perfect sense on why I, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Jerry Puckett, who we've had on the show and, and other direct mail people, why they say that, you know, the big old letter that just has like handwritten words like I will buy your house for cash. Like, that's why that makes sense. It's like, oh, all right. That's exactly what I'm looking for. It, there, there's no like long story. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I love hearing that from you from you on that perspective, because that's exactly why the people react to those kind of letters. They don't need to be fancy or really on professional paper or anything like that. Tell me so, what you're going to do, cool. and then we'll talk from from there. But not don't don't give me fluff. I don't I don't need fluff at this moment. I have tons of people giving me stuff I don't need. You know, give me something I need, but make it very very clear that I need it and that I don't have yep. to search for it. Yep. Awesome. Well, cool. Let's go on to. Uh, so after that happened, you moved on in the property in Ohio. How did you buy that then? If you couldn't get a mortgage, or you are did you have the mortgage at that point? I did. And then I got laid off afterwards. And then, okay, okay. Um, and then, yeah, so this one's sort of fun. It's a little faster than this. And it's why I, I, I found rental real estate to be a thing that I can depend on in times of hardship because I was able to uh, fix it up and do a lot of my myself, probably because it was newer and there's a lot of resources out there. And YouTube was big with people showing you how to do it yourself. So I went ahead and yeah. uh, did a lot myself. And I, and I feel so great. The knowledge you gain when you can fix up a house is some of the best knowledge in the world to have being handy around the house. And it just got me thinking, you know, and then right before um, I got my, my job, I got a roommate and they came in and because my, you know, I'm charging them six fifty, but my, my mortgage is three fifty. So all of a sudden, like you're sort of up, you know? yeah. <laughs> everything's paid for. And you realize that, okay. So for me, it just struck home. So strongly that real estate is amazing because you can always rent a room and have someone else pay your your living costs and through that you can um you can survive you know things aren't as tight and and so then i got in this thing of okay let me look for other houses under thirty five thousand dollars because i saw that there were in um different parts of ohio so i was like this works and i'd visit the neighborhoods they weren't that bad and then I got my job offer in D.C. area. So I came out to the D.C. area and I'm like, I want to put this strategy. So it was very so this is when I got more strategic about I want to find another property under thirty thousand dollars and prove to everyone that a, it can be profitable and it doesn't have to be in the worst part of town. So that's yeah. when I got into this, but more um, um, deliberately than the first two follies or <laughs> things yeah. that happened. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about that. What was what was your strategy then for doing that? What was the deliberate choice you made? Right. So I'm in the D.C. region, and houses are honestly like a, a 900 square foot single family goes for four hundred thousand dollars, if not a duplex. So I mean, very expensive. Um, even my rents. I mean, a room bedroom apartment and like an affordable housing complex is like twelve hundred and thirty dollars a month. And so I mean, it's very high. So I'm looking around. I want to do real estate, and I'm like. And I go to realtor.com and I'm like, give me a 20 mile radius, everything under $30,000. And then um, for me, that was Baltimore, Maryland, which is about a 45 minute drive with traffic. It's an hour and 10, but when it's a Saturdays and Sundays, it's not. And uh, I went up there and I looked at a bunch of properties, some were in neighborhoods that I was like, ooh, a little iffy. But then others were perfectly fine. And, you know, but I had to go and see. Um, so I went with my realtor and he was a bit it was sort of interesting he didn't go to those parts of town much easier either either so he was a little nervous i'm like joe we'll just go and see it if we don't like it we'll just keep driving 
he was like, okay. <laughs> but I was able to get in touch with him because he had listed his own like sub like $15,000 properties. And he's like, well, I can't be uppity about showing this to you. Um, since I listed, I have properties at this price range and there are other real estate agents that they were not, not even trying to hear that. That's, that wasn't worth their time or, or inclination. I get that. So you just have to find somebody who's willing to work with you in your, your sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what I, that's what I did. And I, and I got started and the first property I bought more deliberately was at 13,000 in the middle of Baltimore, about a mile and a half from John Hopkins. Cause I heard all these rumors about, John Hopkins revitalization project. So, you know, figured if you're going to go low in, go next to where tons of money is going to be poured into it. So, so that you go. Good tip. Yeah. So you you went pretty much bottom of the barrel and next to soon soon to come with a vast investment area. Um, yes. I, Rumor. Yeah, Rumor. Yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. Well, I also started, you know, with with low end properties and and. Uh, uh, be fascinated. You know, I know you like to talk a lot about that. In fact, you know, you do some videos on it and you, you talk about it on bigger pockets. Um, l- let's talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, the pros and cons of, of, uh, lower income properties. I mean, obviously you can, you can buy these properties for very little money. You know, what, mm-hmm. What'd you say? $15,000? 13. Yeah. 13,000. 13, 13, Head foreclosure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what what did that rent for? Uh the first renter was nine seventy five. Uh but there was a bit Whoa. of an adjustment because we wow. didn't keep him for long. So now it's at nine hundred. Even so wow. better right. Yeah. Wow. That's that's incredible. It's there's <laughs> yeah. you know, there's it's funny, you know, in these neighborhoods, you're that first investor, like five houses after me, <laughs> you know, where different investors came in. So you come in and they're like, Oh, someone blew lives in this neighborhood well good i'll come too so like all the houses are now rented out and and who's so who's sort of trickles down who, who are the who are those investors i mean you know what the the problem i faced was i was i was one of those people too i was one of the first guys and you know it was mm-hmm. it was an area that i you know i thought would would potentially turn and and i went in and, and tried to do my part and what i noticed was the people around me were uh, the properties were just not getting taken care of the the renters it was you know it was attracting very very low low the low of the low and you know the the, the folks that <laughs> yeah. the people who are renting from my properties were afraid of being around so I couldn't fill my units anymore and ultimately I had to get out I had to bail because you know I didn't want to yeah. be the one propping up the entire neighborhood you know I'd have had to buy. Uh, quite a few properties around my own just to prop up that one property. It didn't make sense right. anymore. So, you know, and, and I think a lot of people face that, particularly who are newer at uh, um, investing in, in those types of properties. So I'd, I'd love your feedback on, on all that. Well, I think there are clear dividing lines. And I think some people aren't really, if, if you don't go down there and look, sometimes you, you don't get those clear dividing lines because there are neighborhoods that, I won't buy in. I don't care how cheap you are. You know, like, no, I look around and I'm like, this is no, I don't, I don't want people living around you. (laughs) And that's just visual. It's gut. It's, it's, it's clear as day to me that, um, that there's not a lot of people working and there's many people hanging out outside. That's too many. Like I don't mind one or two families hanging outside because sometimes your house gets a little cramped. 
you go outside on the porch where everyone's at. But if it's like the majority of people, like, no, that's, that's a sign to me. It's like Unless a block party. I don't want to see you out. Well, yeah, <laughs> but like no one's happy. You know, it was like me, mad dog, and like people who come and like, who are you? You know, like you could tell when people are friendly because they'll, you know, they'll nod their head and say hi, but you can also tell when they're like, oh, you know, fresh meat, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I think it's a, but, and then I also, if I wouldn't do this out of state, if, so here's, I think, where some people get in, they hear about Detroit, there's $500 houses, you have all these property managers, and, and, you know, they're bad property managers. You know, so you hire them to take care of your investment, but you're paying all this money and things are being done shoddily and there's no oversight and you're being gouged. And that's a bad experience because, and I think like when you outsource this type of things to these neighborhoods, I mean, unless you know the property management team and you trust them, I mean, there's a level of being on the ground and seeing it for yourself um, and seeing over the work yourself. But I think when they try to be completely hands off in these neighborhoods, sometimes they don't get like the people who have the most pride in their work. So, um, so I think that will help as well. So yeah, you can get invested in these properties, but you know, go down there and see, or make sure your, your property management is cream of the crop so they can handle this and they're comfortable in this neighborhood and they have good maintenance staff. So they're not doing the work half, you know, half ass. Can I say that? <laughs> so, I think so. Sorry. So, so they're not doing that this type of work that like they no one would be proud of, you know, so that that can get you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess are you managing your own properties then or do you use one of these property managers? I use a property manager and I've gotten better and better at it. Um, I tell. So now um, there's a key factors. Like, first of all, I ask if they've ever they have homes in this neighborhood. If they don't. I'm like, okay, thank you. But I want somebody who invests in this neighborhood. And two, I've had bad experiences with property managers who get paid even when there's no one in the unit. Now, they justify, they justify it in a lot of different ways of why they want to get paid even if no one's there. But sometimes they charge just as much as if there is a tenant there. They're like, oh, I have a minimum of $100 regardless. And I've seen that when I went to property managers who only get paid for performance when someone's running the unit that I have much successful, um, much more successful um, time about it. So, I mean, I went through my bad ones and it's so frustrating. Yeah. yeah the, but, thing, you know, the, the keys to break it off, you know? So now I'm like, what's your break off? Like, I don't want anything that has like a termination fee. Like, Yeah. Well, the thing to be wary of with those guys and particularly, again, for the newer um, investors is um, the ones who get paid on a success fee are also inclined to put in crappy tenants. And that was, again, something that I faced back in the day because I didn't know how to screen tenants. I relied on these guys and it was a nightmare. And, you know, Brandon put together an amazing piece. You know, we, we worked on this, uh, this article, uh, for a while. It's, it's how to screen your tenants, uh, the ultimate guide to tenant screening. And, and we'll, uh, we'll link to that in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 54. Uh, but you know, you definitely have to be careful uh, when dealing a pro- with property managers that they're yeah. not going to put somebody in just to get somebody in there because you know they're not getting yeah. paid. Yep, I hundred percent agree. I hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. So, do you have any? Do you have any good tips then for finding a good property manager? Um, you know, I found a lot of the yeah. So. so I like NARPA. I just found out about them a few um, uh, months ago. 
ago, and I've been using them, I think, for What's two that? different properties. The National Association the of Nas- Rental Property Managers. Oh. Wow, Josh, look at managers. you. Residential property managers. Oh. Yeah, NARP. Oh. Yeah, whatever. You know what? Sorry, NARP. <laughs> I like them as well. Um, so I've changed over um, through my experience. I only do top rated anything. So um, if I go to Better Business Bureau, I, you need to have an A+. Plus. If I go to Angie's List, you need to have like an A. If I go to the residential property manager, that at least you, if you go to NARPM, at least you have like, if they don't do their jobs right, you have something where you can escalate to within their own organization that they care about, you know? So I want them to have some skin in the game as far as their reputation goes. And that cuts out a lot of the chaff, you know? So you get a lot, a lot of the people out of the way doing that. Um, and then secondly, um, I don't like any ones that have a termination fee. Like I shouldn't have to pay you to quit if I don't like the work you're providing to me. So I've noticed that the companies that do have a termination policy, I don't like them as much. I'll deal with them. Like I have a current property manager that that's like that. And they, they just do barely enough, but I also am very aggressive with them. So if they don't get back to me um, and I have to send a second email three days later, I, um, I CC the manager of the company. And sometimes I'm like, may I speak to the owner, please? And I do this because I'm like, look, I'm not, you know, I'm going to be polite, but I'm not trying to be your friend. This is my business. And you guys cause me too much stress being nice with you. So, you know, so when I ask, so that's also something, if you, if you could escalate quicker rather than later and be polite about it, but, you know, owner, the manager will be CC'd on this. Hey, this is my second email. Um, can you please answer this question? Why this accounting error occurred? Because there shouldn't be. Or why am I didn't get this or what who you know why isn't this being rented faster what's going on what needs to change so that's a good tip too and it's not easy to do no one likes to be the tattletale but when it comes to business it just makes things run smoother so i'm a i'm a cc'er that's a great tip it's a great tip it's a great tip it has worked wonders for me in the past oh yeah oh there's nothing it's not about being a tattletale it's about you're not doing your job you're getting paid to do a job and if you screw up, I'm going to go to your boss. And if they fire, if they fire your ASS, as you said earlier, <laughs> you deserve to get your ass fired because you didn't do your damn job. I agree. That's that's I kind of the reason why I like Twitter. I think Twitter is the best customer yeah. service. And you've said that before, Josh, too. Like, yeah, yeah, you can publicly call out companies for not returning phone calls or emails, yep. and they're very, very quick to return them right after that. Oh yeah, because worst yeah. one. Facebook so, too. I get yep. personal email addresses from managers. I'm like, well, thank you. All I wanted in the first place, you know? There you go. That's wonderful. Very cool. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Well, uh, I have a question uh, specifically. How much are you paying a property manager? Like, what's your current, like, w- monthly rate and turnover yeah. fee and all that? Okay. Um, it depends where you're at. Um, some places it's a full month, but some places it's like $300 to place a tenant. And some places it's half the month's rent. So it really, it's local, um, but it's pretty standard. If one place does like full months, everyone else in that area does and vice versa with half month or just a flat fee. And then it's 10% pretty consistently across all the places I do property management. And um, that's why I like doing it at this price range because I have so much more room because, you know, there's usually quite amount of cash flow I have where that extra, um, it could be, um, you know, 90 or, or 90 to $100 they can keep, but my life is so much smoother. So, um, yeah. yeah. So I take the 10%, but I do it at a price range where I can afford it and still have a nice positive cash flow every single month. Okay. So, that's in, the in other those... key to it. so I'm not doing the work. I don't want to do the work. I have too much to do. So 
it's a big <laughs> part of my strategy. Yeah, I've been, I've been, the reason I asked, that's kind of a, you know, personal reason. I've been going back and forth the last, I mean, years, but specifically the last few weeks, whether or not I want to start transferring all my properties over to property management. Because uh, the more I get, the more and more uh, time I'm spending on them just with administrative things. And it's probably come across in the podcast over the past few months. Like it's just more and more, it's getting like just irritating. So I, I'm very, very, very close. And that's why I'm, I'm curious. So uh, on, on another kind of related note, with these property managers, what kind of evictions are you seeing on your properties or vacancy rates? Like, are, are they managing them pretty well? Or are you still, because it's a lower income area, are you having a lot more uh, difficulties? Good that you asked me that. No, no difficulties. If you make it nice, people will come. And, and some of the neighborhoods I'm in, you'd be like, oh, Lisa, are you really investing? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. But it looks really, really <laughs> bad. So you would think that you'd find nobody. But it's, uh, no, if, 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 so when I was at 975, that was the one rent eviction I had. And that's what I realized that it's probably a little priced over the market for the neighborhood. And I shifted down to 900 and that's been consistent for about a year and I don't see them moving anywhere, but there's two parts to it. How do you fix the place up? So you could always put a minimum, you know, you're not going to go all out in these neighborhoods, but you can always put a minimum, but I make a little extra effort to make it homey and it doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money. It's, you know, it's brown walls. Uh, it's it's nice tan walls versus white, you know, and it's and it's something maybe it's just my nesting natural instinct, but it's <laughs> like the little things you could do to make it just a little nicer. So now in my properties, I put this nice soft tan that everyone walks into when they love on the walls, you know, or maybe I have on the cabinets, they do a little um, uh, trim and molding. So when people come into my places, all they see is like, wow, cozy, warm and you know, comfortable. And you don't have to necessarily pay a lot of money for that. You just have to put the right details in that um, resonates with, um, with the mother or father or with kids, yeah. which is something that, that, that gets them going. So for those two reasons, I put it to my standards of what I think is nice to live in versus just the bare minimum. I don't put that cheap. There's like this cheap 70 cent, a square foot carpet. That's like the office carpet. The Home Depot office and some- carpet. Yeah. And there's some people put that in their rentals, but it looks extremely cheap. Anyone yeah. could tell that like you don't care about this. So, you know, upgrade to like the dollar forty nine. It's not the three dollar, but it's the dollar forty nine. At least it looks like you're trying to make this a home, not like as cheap as you can get it. And that's a differentiator with I think why, you know, they come into my place. Not that I do carpet anymore, I try to do laminate, but why they come into my place and, and it's not hard to rent out. So uh, no. no. And if, and I can always lower the rents. I get these houses at low enough prices. I can go down a lot lower before, um, I'm not breaking even. So, um, there's a bit of wiggle room for me to lower it as needed to get someone in, but I will, I don't think I'll ever not have a renter knock on wood. But, yeah. So. yeah. What, you know, so, so, you know, I, I kind of prefaced some of this with, you know, the positives and negatives, positives, okay. obviously cash flow can be really good. Um, the turnover tends to be somewhat higher. I think typically um, it's harder to find folks who have, uh, you know, g- good credit and things like that. No evictions in in, in many cases. Okay. I'm I'm being very broad and general generalizing here. Um, but you know, what what kind of real negatives have you experienced? Safety is is certainly. Uh, can be a concern. I know um, theft can be an issue. I've 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 dealt with you know uh, 
AC units being stolen for copper. I've uh, I've dealt with you know I've dealt with drug dealers. I've dealt with all the craziness yeah. that that you can talk about. Have you experienced any of that? Um, I have some negatives, but they're not. Um, but they were mostly like self inflicted because I wasn't doing my due diligence. Yeah. Um, so um, turnover. Um, when the first guy turned over and I had to evict him, I realized that, you know, 975 is too much for that neighborhood. The neighborhood's fine, but it is a little, you know, a little bit more crash in the alleyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, people try to keep it up, but it's there and it wouldn't be here in my neighborhood, you know? So there are these, these little nuances that, that do appear, um, that makes the neighborhood not look as nice, even if the people are, uh, are, re- are really nice. And so that whole appearance thing really does slow things down on the appreciation front because you're like, well, as long as you guys keep dumping your trash in the alleyway, we're never gonna, yeah, we're never gonna make this neighborhood work. So, so that's a negative. So you get a little frustrated, but that's the neighborhood it is. So it cash flows, but I don't like looking at the rats in the alleys. So, yeah. um, so that's a negative. Um, the tenants, I have to, I usually pass almost a couple times. You know, like I'll, I pass on people. You, you just have to. And the ones I get aren't necessarily like stellar. They might have a blemish, but if they have a blemish on their credit, but they pay everything else on time and they have good rental um, records, but they're not completely all, you know, charge off, charge off, charge off, charge off, charge off, then I'll take a chance with them. And just in different neighborhoods, you know, like my, my 2001 condo in Ohio in a, in a nicer neighborhood, you know, I just, don't get those sort of tenants and with blemishes. So yeah. I'm a little bit more consistent on paying the rent. So, um, so you have to be patient. You got to let some people pass. There's people who applied and I know they wanted to live in my property because where they're coming from, they're like, oh, this is like, you know, so nice. And, you know, I, I wanted them to have nice things, but I could tell they just couldn't afford it. And they're not that responsible with making their payments. So there is a level of being very strict not letting people with dogs in. If you say you're not going to let animals in, don't let them in. And sometimes you just want that money, but um, in these neighborhoods, you're going to pay for it now or pay for it later. So pay for yeah. it with time now. So you yeah. don't have to pay for it with money later. So you just keep that in mind. Just keep that very firm in mind and, um, and, and, and hold off, even if it takes a few months. Yeah, I agree. But I if you fix it up nice, it shouldn't take that long. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great advice. You, you know, I think people get nervous and, and, uh, you know, when, when there's vacancies, but in particular in, in lower end neighborhoods, you definitely do not mm-hmm. want to rush and, and get somebody in there and, and, um, sacrifice on, on a credit score or sacrifice on somebody who's going to pay because, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a headache down, down, uh, yeah. down later for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they know how to keep on and use that. Oh yeah. They use those court, that human emotional appeal, man, it comes out. Oh I'm, yeah, you know, just tears, and then my kids, and I'm trying to I'm just say, and like you know, you don't want to mess with them. They're they're good, so get the right person in. Yeah, that's true. Say so you mentioned the word appreciation a little bit ago. You know, uh-huh. like uh, what do you what are your views on that? Like, cat, obviously, you're a cash flow investor. You're looking for the high cash mm-hmm. flow. Do you expect your properties to go up in value? Do you take that into account at all, or do you assume because you're buying low end, it'll always stay low end, always be cheap, same price. Like what are your, what are your views? I, I do expect appreciation. Um, even in my slightly dirtier one year um, in, in Baltimore, that cash flows really well. And appreciation is the thing that sort of, you know, everyone, things get to you. 
I think the conversation really needs to turn to why is there such a guarantee of appreciation? Like I hear some people say it's a nice neighborhood now. It's going to always be a nice neighborhood. But I, you know, I would feel more comfortable if people told me why they're so sure that 20 years from now, that house is still going to be worth more, not less. You know, I know about forced appreciation. You bought it distressed. You fixed it up. Now it's at market. Like, I get that. I get, oh, there's they're revitalizing across the street. Millions are being invested across the street. That's going to have an effect because people like nice things. It'll attract nicer, you know, it'll attract people with money who like nice things. Like, I get that. But there's such an acceptance that a house in a nice neighborhood will be nice in 20 years. In 20 years, and, I, and I'm like, where does that um, knowledge and surety come from? Because economically, for me, if you're not, it seems to me if you're not in a hot spot of economic activity, like a San Francisco or New York or D.C., like how are you guaranteed that this neighborhood's going to stay so consistent over that long a time? So it, it's sort of, you know, I think, I, I think I'd feel more comfortable with people uh, if they offered some reasons for it. But I don't get the certainty that everyone has that appreciation's guaranteed. I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me a little bit more about that, but there's no backing it up. It's all, it seems very speculative that it's nice. Now it's going to be nice 20 years from now. Why? Yeah. I I tend to just think it'll probably go up with inflation. I don't like to assume much more than that. It'll go up just like, yeah, just like everything. I, I kind of assume income is going to go up about with expenses, probably not a lot more. So I don't usually assume. And again, that's my area because I'm a little bit lower income area, just like you are investing in. So I assume it'll maybe just go up yeah, with with the economy, but I don't I don't hinge my investing strategy upon it. I I think it's one of those things where you know you can somewhat predict uh, areas that will be appreciating, and the way to to potentially predict that is things like what you had talked about. Say Johns Hopkins went and spent a billion dollars mm-hmm. to renovate you know that part of the campus. That's they're throwing a lot of money in. They're not going to want to see a lot of shoddiness around it. So they're probably, you know, there's, you're going to start to see people sprucing up uh, around it or, you know, uh, take Detroit, for example, you know, Detroit starts raising properties and, you know, getting rid of all the eyesores and, and, and suddenly businesses start coming in. Well, you know, there's going to be jobs, money's going to start pouring in. So you'll, you'll begin to see appreciation, but but, you know, I, I think... Those are obvious, yeah. But I think you need to just be smart about it. You, you know, I, I always tell people that, that it's, you know, appreciation is just kind of a little bonus, right? You know, mm-hmm. buy property based upon uh, the cash flow, and if you get appreciation, that, that's great. That's the icing on the cake. I do tend to agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, how are you financing your investments? You know, you, you had that foreclosure. Um, w- are you just paying cash for the properties or are you going through private lenders? What are you doing? So the whole reason I started looking at sub 30 K properties was because I had a foreclosure. So I was like at a 401k too. So I had a foreclosure. I couldn't get conventional financing, but I didn't want this train to stop. I'm like, no, I really enjoy real, real estate investing. And I was like, I'm so sure I can find these properties under 30 anywhere, you know, and I can do this and make it work. And, but because of that, I'm constrained by, uh, cause I was constrained about the type of mortgages. I shifted my price down to 30 K, which I already wanted anyways, but it's because I could afford it. So I figured this was my premise. Even if I took my paycheck and if I'm making 60,000 a year, I took half of that and I saved it. That means I can buy one property a year. So yeah. I cut my living expenses down and I'm like, just on my own salary, I want to purchase one property 
a year. And, um, and so I go out here and I start searching and, oh, I just wanted to mention this when I do this. The reason I think there's such a disconnect with me looking in these sub 30K property ranges, whereas a lot of the Main Street talk is like it's, it, has to, it has to automatically be a headache, is that I came into this in 2009, 2010, and the internet has built up so much. There's so many different websites that I use. I use crime websites. I use, um, you know, crimereports.com or spot crime. Um, you know, local realtors have their um, their listings on site. So they have lower priced homes typically than local homes than the big national MLS and even rental meters. So I, so I use all these things that are here now and I leverage them and I'm finding these 30K properties. Good. And so the part of the financing comes, okay, well, what can I do? So with, with one house, I raided and demolished as much as I can because they don't let you take all of your money from your 401k. You have to ask permission for it. I took as much as I can and I purchased a property with that. And I paid for, that was my year long renovation. I paid for the renovation out of uh, lines of credit with like Home Depot and Lowe's because they do installation or different contractors offer financing. So I I tended to gravitate towards them um, so I could use their financing and get it on 12 month refinancing. Um, so that took a year and I paid for out of my own pocket the rest. So if I had to wait two months, I had to wait two months to pay for the big thing. But then the other things I purchased, I purchased um, one property, I can talk to you about this at the end, for $11,000 and I titled my car. So I'm a pay things off type person. And so, you know, I paid the car off and then as soon as I can. And so I went and got titled my car for like 5% interest rate and I purchased the the property and Honda Civics really keep their value. FYI, just want to put that out there. And um, and I purchased another <laughs> vacant property, and that was um, that was right across the street from this this forty million dollar school that's going to be developed when I purchased it. But it was just in talks, and they were sectioning things off, but no one knew about it. So I'm like, I'm just gonna buy this property now. So I can talk about that later because that's my my what's happening next. And then um, the last product I had was uh, I got a personal loan from the credit union because I tend to prefer credit unions. Banks don't even like want to talk to you if you have any blemish on your credit, which is fine. That's their prerogative. But, you know, I, I don't like to put my money in institutions that won't give me loans because that's the that's the re- relationship I want. I put my money in your bank. You give me loans when I need it based on my credit. So they don't do that. So then I got a personal credit loan and it was like uh, 9.5 percent, um, a little higher, but, you know house pays it off. Um, so yeah, I just use different load investing products. I, um, uh, you know, your 401k, your cash out of your pocket, um, personal loans, if it's at a low enough price and lines of credit to do the renovation. Okay. All right. That sounds a lot like, uh, how I got started. I mean, most of my early properties, yeah, were just pulling from various places. And <laughs> when I, when I say, Earlier, I said I want to take a you know time to just stabilize. That's what I'm referring to. You know, like I, I use so many different things, and I was so creative. You know, like while I was building my portfolio. Now, like right. that's my strat. I mean, that's my goal. That's my resolution for 2014 is to stabilize it all, get everything turned over to 30 year fixed mortgages, start you know just simplify. And so I, I don't necessarily think it's a terrible idea to be. I mean, I love creativity, and I love you know. Uh, the whole Kiyosaki idea of don't say I can't afford it, ask how can I afford it? And that's exactly what you're doing. But it definitely does make for some uh, interesting, uh, interesting times. So it's good. It's good. I mean, it, it works. So anyway, a couple more questions before we wrap this up. First of all, I'm wondering, 
Uh, what advice do you have for new investors who want to get into maybe lower priced housing like this, especially if they're in a, living in a higher end area where, you know, D.C., New York, something like that? Okay. Um, first thing on top of my head is leverage the power of the Internet. Like I mentioned, there's a lot of ways you could vet these properties before you go. Even Google Street View you can use. Yep. There's no reason for many of these things for you not to know exactly what that neighborhood looks like and how far it is from a main attraction by following a, a little arrow. So use the Internet. It, there's a lot of uh, and if you go in bigger pockets, um, people tell you sort of step by step what they do use. And that's a big part of it for these lower income neighborhoods. So you can really vet them, especially with crime. Um, there's certain crimes that I um, will not uh, purchase with, but other crimes that I will. So theft. That is, I live in a nice part of Arlington, Virginia, and guess what? There's thefts here. You're, you're just not going to get away from it, okay? So if I go to these neighborhoods and I see theft, I'm okay. Uh, burglary, I'm like, eh, not so much. <laughs> Maybe if it's far away, I might. But um, and robbery, no, okay? Um, assaults, uh, drugs, narcotics, prostitution, no. However, there's different types of things. If it's like a domestic issue, because those will pop up as um, on these crime reports and crime websites, that has had no effect. So there are neighborhoods I bought where I've seen that sort of um, issue come up, but that does not affect my house, probably because they keep it inside the house. Now, I'm not saying this is a could or should. I'm just saying it is a what is. That does not, that sort of stays inside the house. So it really doesn't necessarily affect everything. So that's something that if I see that on a report, that's not going to scare me away from a neighborhood. And also, if you're going to do it, you have enough leeway you should have to be able to hire a property manager to take care of this, you know, use that as part of your strategy. You know, you, you can afford it. It's worth it. Um, so you don't have to go down there yourself. Just, you know, vet them very carefully and only get top rated and whatever you need to. So if you have to pay a little bit more, trust me, you know, pay now or pay later, it's worth it. So I think those are the biggest things, you know, fully vet on, you know, leverage the internet, um, property management. And, um, I forgot the other thing I said, but <laughs> sorry, that's good. That's good. No, that's great. That's great. And so, what what about going forward for you? Uh, yeah, we're we're very quickly running out of time here. So, tell us uh, what what does your future look like? Where where do you what do you want to do next? So, uh, really quick, the vacant I purchased in 2011 for eleven thousand dollars. They are breaking ground on this forty million dollar school. Ooh, nice. but because I need time. Yes, K through eight. So, and it's charter, but the only people who can automate automatically have their kids enrolled are people who live in my property. So it's a bit of an up. And so um, I, I need a year to stabilize as well. So I'm paying off all the other creative investment things I did. So I have, a, you know, nine months where I'm just going to chill on that. And so I'm looking to um, have a deal where I'm first deal where I am raising funds after the, this is like my fourth property. And now people are telling me, Lisa, if you find another one, I'll give you some money on it. And so now I'm at the point where I, you know, going to ask them for the renovation costs and work out some deals. So that'll be my first, and I'm excited about it. And two, I um, will be video blogging about investing in low-income housing. So if um, anybody wants to check me out on Bigger Pockets or uh, my other information, I just do it so people can be more comfortable investing in the best price range because I think it can be very profitable. Our money goes a long way than it would in another neighborhood. And it's I think it's a good aspect to add to your portfolio, but I think some people are a little nervous about it, but there's ways to do it a little strategically. So you can take all that nervousness out and just go straight with success based off other people's um, experiences with it. Right on, right on. Very cool. Well, right. Fantastic. Well, this, uh, we're going to move forward to uh, second to last part of our interview here. The it's time for the fire round. 
So what is the fire round, Brandon? All right. The fire round is uh, <laughs> questions that we get from uh, the Bigger Pockets forums. These are questions that real people are having in the real world. So we want to fire them at you. All right. Number one, should I be using QuickBooks when getting started or am I okay just using a spreadsheet? Yeah, you um, experience people might groan at this. But I'm like, yeah, a spreadsheet's fine. You don't have to make it. You know, when you get the time, you can invest in learning QuickBooks, learn it. When you get the time and money to invest in a bookkeeper, do it. But is an Excel sheet fine? Yes. Don't make this too complicated. Good. Good, Good go. answer. What kind of flooring should I put into my rentals? And oh, I know yeah. I do not answer, carpet but... anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no carpet. I do laminate because it's cheap and indestructible and or tile. And it's long lasting 100% worth it carpet you just have to clean and it gets crazy all right uh duplex or single family what's the best way to start i always like duplex but only if it cash flows um you know some people are like 100 or 150 i, I mean minimum for me would be 200 dollars per unit unless you're living in one of them if you're living in one of them you, you're saving in so many other ways so um go duplex if it cash flows nicely if it doesn't go with single family okay there you go all right, for rent signs, are they effective still in the electronic age? They're very effective in my neighborhoods. Before I'm, I'm finished, they're calling that number. You know, you put the little phone number up where they can call to get an application. So um, in my neighborhood, these, you know, a lot of people walking by see the house and have a friend that they'd like to come live near them because, you know, they see inside, they peek, and they're like, oh, it's nice. You know, why don't we get our cousin to come? I'd love to live next to them. So yeah. uh, for rent signs, do work, um, at least in my neighborhood. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Right on. They work. They work well in mine too. So, all right, it is time for the world famous famous four. So, famous four. These questions that we ask everyone. So, let's go with uh, number one. What is your favorite real estate book? My favorite real estate book. Oh gosh. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I, well, no, it's not really a real estate book. Um, <laughs> it, it's close enough. I mean, that's what a lot of people say. I mean, almost everyone yeah. says. <laughs> like, that's mine, too. Yeah, I'll go with Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's not creative. Sorry there wasn't anything more groundbreaking than that. I mean, you could say something like, I don't know, Bigger Pockets. <laughs> I mean, it's not a book, but, you know, I mean. It's not a book, but I do love bigger pockets i've been on here forever yeah see that's what we love we'll work with that, we'll work with that. <laughs> all right what is your what's your favorite uh, business book non real estate non real estate um i'm really enjoying the four hour work week i really resonate yes. with tim ferris and his outlook on life right on. and Likewise. i think it's jam-packed with things that you can start immediately get your time back and so i i love it i recommend it for everyone there you go. What page are you on, Josh? What page are you on? I don't have a right. <laughs> I don't. No, 27. You can say it. 27. It's got inches and inches of dust on it at this point. So, uh, yeah. You'll, you'll pick it back up. Yeah, one of these days. All right. What about hobbies? What, uh, what do you do for fun? Uh, the inner diva in me likes karaoke, which. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was just there last. Yeah. You know, karaoke every weekend. That's my, my outlet. Um, a lot of fun. A lot That's... of um I always wish it was more popular than it is. It's always just like ten of us, you know, at the bar, like <laughs> on rotation. Like never more. Like, and then you go to some spots where it's like there's a hundred people who want to get their favorite song in. So it's just so it's sort of the Japanese love their karaoke. 
I'd love to. I'd hey, love to. Josh, you know, whenever, you know, we have the next Bigger Pocket Summit, we've got our entertainment now. Oh, we're going to have Lisa do karaoke? Karaoke. No. There we go. Yeah. Of, uh, Someone's not shy. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Final question. All right. What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors, especially maybe in the lower end price point from those who uh, don't ever get into it or fail or end up giving up? It is um, having a vision. You need to have a vision. You can't just do it to do it. Do it for, for what? Like, what's the vision? What, where are you trying to see yourself? If you, if you have the vision, you know exactly what you're working for and you're going to do it. But it also takes a level of guts. Um, you got to face your fears. Uh, things I found are not as bad as what everyone thinks they are. Fear and the human psyche, it's just, it's so strong. It keeps people from doing so much in life. And um, my favorite quote is fear is the enemy of action. I heard it when I was 12 and I've lived by it since then. But it's amazing once you understand that it stops you from doing what you need to do um, and you break past that and face it. And most of the time you find out it's not that bad. I'm sure there's circumstances. Well, there is, but that you live, you know, you'll live. Okay, it's not the worst thing I've ever imagined. Um, That's really going to get you someplace because you can't do what everyone else is doing that's safe and comfortable and think you're going to be this breakout success doing what everyone else is doing. If it worked, everyone would be a breakout success. You have to take a a little bit of guts and go after it. Wow. have a vision to know what you're working for. So that's what I think is the key difference. Wisdom in the last moments of the podcast. I love it. That's good. Good stuff. Yeah, it's great. Well, Lisa, it's it's been a pleasure. We definitely appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much for for taking the time and and for being a part of uh, Bigger Pockets as well. Uh, we we appreciate it. So uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. I had a great time. Got an expletive or two out. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. But no, um, <laughs> you guys are great. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you for letting me present like the different voice. And you guys are great. Cool. Uh, thank you. One. Thank you. Hey Lisa, hey, Lisa, where can people find more about you? You can find more about me on Bigger Pockets, but also on my video blog, uh, affordablerealestateinvestments.com. If you want to find out a little bit more about like the real stories of how and why you, or you can invest in these properties in working class neighborhoods successfully and more strategically. Perfect. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank Thanks. you very much, Lisa. This is great. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. All right, everybody, that was our show with Lisa Phillips. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. Lots of interesting conversation, lots of, uh, uh, lots of really interesting insight into to what it's like to, uh, to work in these uh, lower income properties. I definitely want to thank everybody for listening. A uh, quick reminder to check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 54. That's biggerpockets.com slash show 54. And... Uh, you know, come come hang out with us on Facebook. Actually, on Facebook, we've been asking these trivia questions about once uh, once a week, and and it's been fascinating. You know, kind of a multiple choice uh, question thing, and and the conversations have been phenomenal. So definitely, if you're not already getting involved in in uh, these discussions, you know, link up with us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash/biggerpockets. Uh, follow us on Twitter, G plus G plus is awesome, and. Uh, of course, biggerpockets.com itself. If you're a listener and don't have an account on Bigger Pockets, you need to set one up today. And if you have an account on Bigger Pockets and you're not using it, then you are absolutely missing out because the deal making, the networking, the interaction that happens on the site is just incredible. And just, you know, by creating a profile and doing nothing or not creating a profile at all, 
you're 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 missing out on the action. So get in there, get involved, and start making money because people on bigger pockets who are interacting are making money. Make it happen. Woo! I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R, today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.